Thanks to Phil and the team for leading us. Great to be here. Well, we're into Ruth chapter 3. We've had a break for a couple of weeks. We're back into Ruth. Can you remember the theme of chapter 1 or the theme I think? Chapter 1, anybody? Loyalty, loyalty. Chapter 2, amazing grace, amazing grace. And chapter 3, I think the theme here is providence. And by the way, we have bookmarks. So if you didn't pick one up two weeks ago, feel free. They're out there in the foyer. You can get a bookmark. Take one for a friend as well. Pass it on to them. I was, uh, as I'll lead to uh, mention in the message this morning, I was up at Atherton for Easter Convention, for Keswick Convention there, and I had one, as I always do, tucked in the front of my Bible here, and a lady I was speaking to after one of the messages, she said, what's that, what's that? I said, that's an Inspire bookmark. She said, oh, can I have it? I said, yeah, sure. So they're even up at Atherton, would you believe? So I had to pick up another one this morning. So take them, they're free. Okay, we're into Ruth chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is to Ruth, my daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now, here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she said to her, that is Ruth, to her mother-in-law, Naomi, all that you tell me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and he was in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and there lying at his feet was a woman! Exclamation mark in my Bible. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask, for all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now... Though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. We all sigh for a moment. Remain this night and in the morning he will act as next of kin for you. Good. Let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until until the morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize another. For he said, it must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And then he said, bring the cloak you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her back. And then he went into the city. She came to her mother-in-law who said, 
How did things go with you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, He gave me these six measures of barley, for he said, Do not go back to you or mother-in-law empty-handed. So uh, she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. Oh, you know that chorus well, don't you? God is our provider. And in a general sense, the Lord provides for us every day. Of course, we need him to provide for us. The sunlight, the rain, the air we breathe, the water that we need to drink and the food that we need to eat. So the theme this morning on chapter 3 is God is our provider, Jehovah Jireh. Providence in the dictionary is defined as this, the foreseeing care and guidance of God or nature over the, create, over the creatures of the earth. But then just expanding that a little bit more, the Heidelberg Catechism defines providence this way, and I like how it puts it. The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, sounds like a marriage ceremony, yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. The Lord provides for us generally every day, but as we're going to see in chapter 3, and as we know, the Lord provides for us in specific ways. The Lord knows your needs and... Trusting in him, he provides for you. Here are some instances from my own life, and you might be able to relate to some of these. When I needed a job, there it was. Maybe it took a little time, but eventually it came about. The bank account was going down low. I had mortgage payments to make. And there again, the Lord provided for me. When I was at the Bible school and we needed staff, of course, at the Bible school, we didn't pay great wages, so it was always a challenge to find staff who were willing to come just on a meagre income, but the Lord always provided. I have stories about that. Vehicle. Recently, my car seemed to have been at the mechanic every month for the last six months, but the Lord's always provided someone else. The other, about a month ago, I went to Mansfield Church where I preached on most Sunday mornings, caught the bus because I didn't have my car and a couple saw that my car was missing and they said, Neil, what's happened to your car? I said, oh, it's back at the mechanic. It loves being with the mechanic. And they said, what are you doing for transport? I said, I'm catching buses. Reached into their pocket. Here, Neil, we have two cars. Take ours and have it as long as you want. How good was that? Great. The Lord provides for us. I think, well, I shared at the uh, uh, induction, the end of last year, or beginning of this year, I can't remember, about being here at Inspire, that last year I'd finished as regional minister and I prayed to the Lord, that was the end of September, I said, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out, 
But I'm free on Wednesdays. I'm free. If you want to use me on Wednesdays, right, I'm free on that day. And seriously, it was only about a week later that Pastor Nathan phoned me. Neil, he says, I looks a bit of a long shot. I don't know whether you'd be interested, but we're looking for somebody to help us out on Wednesdays. I said, what? Doing what? He said, leading the Inspire service and on the alternate week doing some pastoral care. I said, Nathan, I'd love to. He said, don't you want to think about it? Don't you want to pray about it? I said, I already have. I've already told the Lord on free Wednesdays. Oh, oh, he says, he got all excited. That's why I'm here. The Lord provides. Let me tell you about Easter. So for Easter, I went up to Atherton to speak at their Keswick Convention took all my camera gear with me, knowing that seven sessions to speak over four days, I wasn't going to have too much time, but just in case, for those of you photographers, right, you don't want to miss out. And an iPhone is just not the same. It really isn't. On the Sunday morning that I spoke, I mentioned a story I preached here about being in Brazil and how the lady that I was with on the tour, she wanted to see a pair of blue macaws. I prayed, and that afternoon we saw a pair of blue macaws. The next day, some of you are nodding your head, you know this story. I said, I asked the lady, Chris, I said, what would you like to see today? And she said, I would like to see a taper. And so I said, well, I'm not going to only pray for a taper. I'm going to say that, ask the Lord that we, I, we see a baby taper. And would you believe, an hour later, as we were going along in the little minivan there, there was a baby taper. And she turned to me and she said, Neil, how do you do this? How do you do this? Well, Atherton, right? So I went up at Atherton and I shared that story on the Sunday morning. And then the secretary of the committee came up to me and he said, have you ever seen a tree kangaroo? I said, no, I've never seen a tree kangaroo. He said, well, they're pretty rare they're pretty rare, but we do think we know where one is. So why don't you skip the session this afternoon of the other speaker and we'll take you out. So, went looking for this tree kangaroo and what did we find? Photo drum roll. There it is. The tree kangaroo. Now, I didn't realise how rare it is till the next morning. Get back to the convention, and a lady came up to me and she said, Oh, by the way, by the way, I must mention, right, before the speaker spoke that afternoon, two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, right, as the chairman was leading the meeting, he said, We need to pray for Neil as he's gone out with his camera that he might see a tree kangaroo. So I had 185 people praying that I would see it as well. Get back the next day and a lady says to me, she comes up to me and she says, did you see the tree kangaroo? I said, sure I did, here's the photo. She said, I've lived here 10 years and I've never seen it. Oh, that is how the Lord provides. The next day, Monday afternoon, that, that afternoon, Monday afternoon, they said, do you have a photo of a cassowary? I said, no, I don't. Well, we know of a tame one at the beach just south of Cairns. So we're going to actually drive you to the beach there so you might be able to get a photo of the cassowary. So we drove down and there it was, walking along the beach, the cassowary, and then through the caravan park. I tried to get a photo without any wheelie bin in the background or a caravan, trying to make it look like it was deep in the rainforest, right? That's what my aim was, but you can see a little bit of the road. Hopped in the car, 
to then go to the airport and I said to the couple who were driving me, I said, you know what I'd really like? And they said, what's that? I'd like to see a chick, a cassowary and chick. And they said, well, aren't you just happy with the cassowary? I said, no, not really. Anyway, <laughs> 10 minutes down the road, seriously, what's walking toward us? Next photo, thanks. Cassowary and chick. Jumped out of the car, was going 40 kilometres an hour because I didn't want to miss the moment and got the shot. Oh, how good is that? How good is that? The Lord provides. You have moments. We could share over morning tea. Perhaps even recent moments when the Lord has provided for you the unexpected, the extraordinary, something that you'd hoped for, maybe prayed for, but then, right, over and above. That's the story of Ruth. Chapter 3, God providing. Ruth and Naomi would have found it very difficult to live on their own. Two single women, and Ruth being a foreigner, being a Moabitess, would have found it difficult living in that place in Judah, struggling to survive. But as we've read and as we'll see, right, how the Lord provides for them. He is their Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Naomi was faced with three issues. If you can kind of remember where we were in chapter 2 a month ago, Naomi was faced with three issues. Number one is, how could the name of her dead husband, Elimelech, be maintained since both of her sons had died? So that's the issue number one. Issue number two is this. What steps should she take in order to provide for the inheritance which had Elimelech had left a plot of land for them and left in her trust. And thirdly, how could she provide for rest and security for her faithful daughter-in-law that had given up her homeland, given up her gods, given up her family and relatives and relations and moved to Judah to be with Naomi? How could she provide for Ruth? Every one of those questions is answered if Ruth marries Boaz. But it's going to take a little bit of scheming in the process. The line of Elimelech would continue through her daughter-in-law Ruth if she ends up marrying Boaz. The inheritance that Elimelech had left behind would now remain in the possession of Ruth daughter-in-law, and Ruth would be financially secure for the rest of her life by marrying this wealthy man. So, Naomi does a little bit of plotting and scheming here that Ruth might be able to enjoy rest. Interesting that in the book of Ruth, the word rest always means some condition or security that's attained through marriage. So it's not just, you know, taking it easy, lying by the beach somewhere, but actually refers to a marriage situation. Then Ruth will enjoy rest. Now, Naomi has already prayed for this in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that her two daughters-in-law might be able to marry and have children themselves. So that prayer has already been asked. It will take God and it will take human working as well for God's purposes to come about. So let's get into the story. 
Naomi just happened to mention Boaz to Ruth. Remember, we looked at chapter 2 beforehand, that for the last three or four months, Ruth had been gleaning, had been gleaning in the fields that Boaz owned. But now the harvest time had finished. So there's some urgency in Naomi orchestrating events here. The harvest time has come to an end, and so Ruth is not making the daily journey every day to Boaz's uh, fields to glean, which means that she may not end up seeing him again for some time. Boaz had not taken the initiative during this last three or four months, maybe because Ruth was a foreigner and he was a man of great wealth. So a stalemate situation had occurred where Ruth isn't going to his field and meeting up with him. He hadn't made any approach to her. So Naomi decides, I need to get involved. I need to do something here. I need to bring things to a head. One way or another, she needed to know if Boaz had any attraction to Ruth and if it was possible, because he is a kinsman redeemer, that some relationship might occur. That would mean that the two women no longer would need to live in poverty for the rest of their days. A kinsman redeemer needs to be found. Otherwise, Naomi is going to be forced to sell the block of land that's been left to her by Elimelech, and then how long will they survive on that? So Naomi puts her plan into, act, into action. She reminds Ruth that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. And we'll see more of this in chapter 4. He's a relative. And also he has the means to be able to provide for them. So she says similar words to this, Naomi. Remember Ruth, remember that, remember that man Boaz, right, who owned the field, who was your employer, whom you worked with, the other maidens also in his employment. Well... I know where he's going to be tonight. Whoa. He's going to be on the threshing floor, winnowing the barley. Can you see her mind ticking over here? Threshing floor was a hard, flat area, mostly common bedrock, which had been dug out or slightly on a, a raised hill or platform. Tools were used to beat the grain, or an animal was used as well, perhaps an ox, to tread over the stalks. Once that had been completed, then the grain was thrown into the air, a fork or shovel, with a fork or shovel, allowing the wind to carry the chaff away, and the grain that would fall to the threshing floor would then be placed in heaps to be sold or carried manually on carts to be taken to the granary. The straw that then was left would be eaten by the animals. And this time was a time of great celebration. Threshing and winnowing, time of great enjoyment because they were able to see how much they'd brought in from the harvest. And you would expect Boaz, who's the owner of these fields, to be present because he wants to know how much income he's going to get. So tonight's the night. Tonight will bring an opportunity to gauge whether there's any interest at all from Boaz in desiring to marry Ruth. Well, of course, what does she have to do? 
She's got to look her best to the par. She can't turn up with her hair everywhere, wearing her rags, can she? So her mother-in-law tells her, you've got to take a bath. Put on some perfume. It's true, it's in there in scripture. You've got to make yourself beautiful, right? Present your best case. And interesting is this. Take off your mourning clothes. That's M-O-U-R-N, by the way. Take off your mourning clothes and put on the best dress that you have. Now, probably we would say, right, because they're both poor, they don't have great, beautiful clothes, right, but the best that she had. So she does those things. And to take an outer garment or cape to protect you because it's going to be a bit cool tonight. In effect, what was Naomi telling Ruth? She was saying this. The time of mourning over your dead husband, or my son, right, is over. That has come to an end. You now are putting yourself out there, making yourself available. Perhaps it could be that up until this time, Ruth had only worn these mourning clothes, which then would have been an indication to a man or a gentleman, right, I can't approach her anyway because she's still in her time of grief. But now that's all about to change. Here's Naomi's plan. Ruth, go down to the threshing floor because Boaz is going to have spent the night there. However, keep yourself anonymous by pulling the cape over your head. Remain anonymous while Boaz eats and drinks. Well, that will relax him and he will drop off to sleep quite quickly. Take note of the time that he lays down to sleep. And then after he's slept for a while, uncover his feet and the lower part of his legs so that his legs get cold and he wakes up. My goodness, I don't have a uh, Naomi in my life. Oh, my. There you go. She's got it down to detail, hasn't she? She's thought of everything. It's going to be a bit of a cool night, so just, you know, lift up the end of his cloak there. When he gets cold legs, he's going to wake up and he's going to see your face. So Ruth agrees with every detail. Naomi would have known that Boaz would have known of Ruth's kindness to her. And so she also knew of the kindness Boaz had shown to Ruth, which we saw in the previous chapter. He'd shown amazing grace to her, allowing her to glean, to get the best pickings and then be able to take more food back to Naomi. Naomi's hope then is that Boaz cannot resist Ruth. And in the process, he will fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer according to the Levite marriage requirements, and all is going well. They live happily ever after. Now, I have to make this comment, right? To us, it seems a little bit immoral in our day to have all this planning and scheming, right, and lifting a gentleman's legs so he gets cold. But in those days, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been taken as an immoral thing. Well, Boaz... Boaz ends up doing exactly as Naomi had planned. He eats, he drinks, he feels satisfied, he lies down to have a sleep. He's not drunk, he's just happy and content. 
which shows us again, right, that the famine that had brought about the events of chapter 1 are now over and that there is plenty of food in abundance. Of course, any man, a little bit of food, a little bit of drink. What's he going to do? He's going to sleep. And then Ruth made a move. While he was asleep by one of the parcel piles of grain at the edge of the threshing floor, she tippy-toed up to him. She pulled back and uncovered his feet. And now the cool air began to chill his legs. He began to shiver. He turned over, groping for his cloak to cover up his cold feet. But there was a surprise because at the bottom of his feet there is, as my Bible had, a woman. Exclamation mark. Who are you, he asked. Ruth, your handmaid. Interesting that Ruth uses that particular word for handmaid. In chapter 2, she's referred to herself as being a shipha, which means the lowest person you know, willing to do any menial task. That's the word she used of herself in chapter 2. In chapter 3, she uses the word amar, which means a woman who is eligible to be married. Yes. Well, Boaz wasn't offended by her actions. He didn't scold her. He didn't tell her to go away. He now was attracted to Ruth, but he didn't take advantage of her in any way. And then she makes this request. This is important to see this in Scripture. She says this, Spread your wing over your handmaid. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 8 has exactly the same turn of phrase and it talks about God spreading his wings over Israel and entering into a marriage covenant with the nation and Ruth uses the same term. What's she saying? Boaz, I'm willing to be married. Here I am at the bottom of your feet. What more can I ask? But Ruth not only does that, she goes beyond what Naomi had asked her to do. And Ruth adds these words. For you are a near kinsman. What is she saying? She's saying Boaz, right? Here I am, I'm available, and I'm asking you because you are a near kinsman. See, she's not wanting to get married out of passion or out of greed for herself, but she's thinking still of her mother-in-law, Naomi, who has this block of land who's been passed down to her by Elimelech. So, Boaz, if I marry you, right, you will fulfill that obligation, and Naomi will be looked after also. She reminded Boaz that she was a close relative of Naomi's and the option now was for him to take up the task of being a kinsman redeemer. And what's his response to her? Blessed be you of Jehovah, my daughter. Yes. That word is saying, right, that she is much younger than Boaz. Now, again, right, we mentioned it the other, other time. Only what rabbis say. Rabbis say that Boaz was 80 years of age, Naomi was 60 years of age, 
and Ruth was 40 years of age. Now, it's not in scripture, it's just what the rabbis say. But by him using that term, my daughter, he's actually saying, you are much younger than me, right? You are of an age, you could be my daughter. So there is a large age difference there. Well, Boaz is overwhelmed at what's just occurred. Ruth's kindness to her own family, he's known about that. Ruth has come with Naomi into Judah, given up everything that she'd known in the past. But now he says, what you are doing now, your kindness has even exceeded that. I am an old man, and yet you're willing to marry me. How kind you are. Added to the fact that Ruth, he says, could have married anyone of her own age. She may have even received marriage proposals in the past to fulfil the obligations to her dead husband, but that she did not follow through with these inclinations to Boaz is saying, how loyal, how gracious you are. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, he says, the young men, the young men, let me read it. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. What's the first? Looking after a mother-in-law, right? This is even greater than that. You have not gone after the young men, should Scripture actually say. She had the opportunity, but she had declined them. By passing up on these young men who were not kinsmen redeemers, again, Ruth showed concern for her mother-in-law. She was acting out of loyalty. Well, Boaz comforts Ruth. He's willing to fulfill his obligations as kinsman redeemer. And he says that everybody knows of Ruth's character. All the city folk know what a worthy woman you are. She's just been in the city for just three or four months and yet already people are saying what an amazing woman Ruth is. She had this great reputation of being a woman of virtue and this was known even by the city elders. Well, everything's falling into place, isn't it? The jigsaw pieces are coming together, but, and of course we always need a bit of tension in a story, there's one obstacle. There's another man who is a closer kinsman redeemer than Boaz is. There's another man who is a closer male relative than what he is, and he must have the first option. Mosaic law said that the closest male relative must be given the option first, and if he declines, then the next closest male relative. Well, Ruth had received her instructions from Naomi and now she's about to receive from, from Boaz. Chapter 3, verse 13. He says, stay the night. That does not have any sexual connotations with it, by the way. If the closer kinsman wants to play his part, then you are free to marry him. But if he doesn't, Boaz is saying, then... I shall. Now, if Boaz had sent her home straight away in the middle of the night, 
could have been a dangerous situation for her. So he tells her that she is to stay early in the morning, but before everybody else wakes up, which is what she did. She laid his feet until morning. Unnecessary gossip could then be avoided. But before she leaves, Boaz gives her more food, more food, more food to take home to Naomi. Now, I've made the conversion here, and I find this as startling. He gives her somewhere between, we're not sure exactly, but somewhere between 27 and 43 kilograms of barley. Now, could you carry 27 kilograms of barley? Not even 43. Like, I couldn't carry anything that's 43 kilograms. So let's go the minimum. Let's go 27. 27 is a real weight. When I went backpacking through Europe, I had on my backpack 22 kilograms. That was enough. And here she is. She's at least one kilogram or four more kilograms over. He laid it on her which shows that she's having to bend over and that he's tying it to her back in some way. She gets home. And Naomi, oh, she's been waiting. Can you imagine, you know, peeling the curtain back? When's she coming? Where's she coming? I need to know. How are things going to work out? Will you become his wife? Ruth told Naomi, everything's gone amazingly well. Just as you'd said. Uncovered his feet, got a bit cold. He woke up, he saw me. And not only that, look at this. He's given us so much food as well. The two of them had come into Judah empty. Remember, Naomi had said, please don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because God has dealt bitterly with me. And now they have an abundance of food and everything's going well. The Lord provided through, Bo through Boaz everything that Naomi and Ruth needed. Now we're going to pick it up chapter 4 in two weeks and see how the story finishes, which is, again, quite remarkable. But back into our theme of provenance. Provenance. If we believe that God does provide for us, then we believe that from the vast galaxies down to the very smallest thing in your life, everything is under God's care without exception. The universe from its widest reach down to the smallest detail is the object of our Lord's loving oversight. But you, like me, we do have occasions in our life where we wonder maybe, Lord, what are you doing here? Why are you not providing? Like I'm coming right to the 11th hour. They told me that when I got up to Atherton, they said that they had another speaker in mind. I was number two. I said, that's okay. And the guy from Tasmania, so Barry's the secretary, right? He, went, he was at the printers, he told me to get the brochures run off for the convention and as he's at the printers talking about how many of those get run off and all the rest of those details, he gets a phone call from the speaker in Tasmania saying, I'm really sorry, I've fallen off a ladder, I've hurt my head and I can't come to speak. Now Barry's in a bit of a state of what to do. 
Oh, who can I get? Who can I get? This is only eight weeks ago. Who can I get to come to Atherton and be a speaker? And for some reason, Neil's name pops into his head. And so he phones me. And not driving anywhere, I pick up the phone straight away. He says, Neil, look, I don't know whether you can help me. What are you doing for Easter? I said, the diary's free. Oh, any chance you could come to Atherton? He said, I've just lost one of my speakers. I said, I'd love to be there. And then he said this to me. He told me this. He said, after I hung up, I looked on my computer and I already had your details from when you were here in 2018. And I figured, hmm, four years, Neil probably looks pretty much the same. I can use the same photo. His bio, well, that probably hasn't changed. I'll use the same as that. So at the printers, he took off from on his computer, right, the second speaker's photo and bio, he puts mine on, he says to the printer, let's go ahead with this, we can print today. Like 11th hour stuff, but the Lord provided. You have those moments, I know you do. When it seems just something's got to happen here that the Lord comes through. And it's in those moments, I say, that we need to reflect, that we need to remember. Lord, I know you've provided for me in the past. I've seen it happen again and again and again. Tree kangaroo, cassowarian chick. I know you shall provide for me today. We trust in him on the mountain peaks and we trust in him in the valleys, for he is our Jehovah Jireh provider. Let's pray together. Father, your, your eye is on the sparrow. You know when every bird falls. And you say to us, don't worry about what you're going to eat and drink and the clothes you wear. That's all under control. Don't worry about those things. I am your heavenly father. And the promise is sure that as you have provided for us in the past, blessings abundant, exceedingly more than we could ask or think. So this day, this day, you will provide for us.
Thank you.